Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Once upon a time. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky. How Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods with me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Paul Ford, the original pianist. Paul Ford has been the pianist for 19 Broadway shows, including Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George, Assassins, and Passion. He has accompanied Mandy Patinkin and Patti Lupone in concerts all around the world and is the author of Lord Knows At Least I Was There, working with Stephen Sondheim. Tell me about your journey with Into the Woods. I mean, you were involved with it in very... Uh uh intimate way for quite a long time um i just finished rags deeply depressed Mm. and uh so i went to paul gimignani and i said i know you've already started doing readings of into the woods but is there any chance of getting on that show and he immediately put me on it and i felt like a friend of mine had been working on it so i kind of stepped in and kind of uh yanked it away i've always felt and uh so um i was given a score i was given a tape of the reading and actually i reread my chapter in my own book yesterday so i would be (laughs) familiar with the timeline yes and then i went to see the revival yesterday afternoon so was this your first time seeing the revival yes and your first time seeing any revival, is that right? Oh, go! Oh, no, no. I've seen revivals. I've seen I, Into the Woods. I saw the Alliance Theater production a number of years ago in Atlanta, Georgia. But I don't think I've seen production. Oh, Walter Hudson played the mysterious man. Barbara, somebody played Jack's mother. These were New Yorkers. Everybody else was local. Ah, was it Barbara Luna? No, no, God, no. She was in West Side Story at uh, uh, Lincoln Center in 67 when I saw my first Broadway show. She was in wow. Oh, that. Oh, no, that's why she was in my head from your book. No, I meant um, uh, Barbara Andrews. Is that the woman's name? No, no, no. I'll, I'll stop guessing. Up. I'll stop guessing. Anyway, so I, um, I think the first thing, so I got what was there, the score. Um, which was what? Oh, 
the opening number always, all 45 parts of it. And um, maybe their magic, which was extremely long, mm-hmm. and it was just reduced to one chorus. Uh, maybe, maybe the agonies, and then a very short giants in the sky, which really had no relation to what finally happened. Now, let me ask you, um, starting with that opening number, was it the opening number you say always? So was it essentially the version of the opening number that we've come to know? Yes, it really was. I, you know, cause it, you know, it included the witches rap and everything and just everything wow. pretty much stayed the same with that. Um, and what, I mean that, you know, to, to so many of us that, uh, have just known the show so, um, seminally uh for so many years and so many incarnations on as a Sondheim devotee yourself coming out of Sunday in the Park with George uh did you hear that opening number and think wow or what was your feeling about it well to be perfectly honest I was looking for a song right (laughs) (laughs) and you know I know the tune into the woods is a song yeah, with a bridge and everything, but it was just it was it was a lot to take in. Um, yeah. So I was already focused on what keys we were in, yes. what was going to be expected of me. So I really had no. Oh, hello, little girl was the big number. Yeah, Stephen had dem- he demonstrated it a couple of times, and everybody said, "Oh, wait, do you hear that?" And so that was a huge number that I had to prepare in a couple of keys because we didn't know so that's where my focus was gotcha now uh just i want that you tantalize me with that but staying on the opening number just for a moment having had that experience of it i assume this was 1986 yeah Mm -hmm. and has your feeling about that opening number now do you look at it as like classic opening number or are you like i still wish it had more of a song it's is it classic it's um i know from your book you have a very exacting standard of what you allow into the pantheon in your heart so i i won't i won't be offended on into the woods's behalf if it didn't make it it's just really long Yes. Okay. Okay. And there's a lot of information. Yeah. And I will say it was pretty clear yesterday, but the whole stuff with Cinderella and the birds, you know, all of that's really obscure. It's right. hard to catch that. Yeah. And even even the even the uh, witch's rap, it's a little hard to to get all of that. Sure. You know, especially a first hearing. You know. Yeah. And and let me ask you, when you immediately were working on this, you talk about preparing Hello, Little Girl in different keys. Was this for another reading, for a workshop, for auditions? What were you working toward? I was working toward on that, the Old Globe tryout. And I don't, we had Ken Marshall as the Cinderella Prince slash Wolf. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he had done maybe one of those readings. Mm-hmm. So. I I had to prepare it because, you know, I just knew from Sunday in the Park with George, I had to be ready. Yes. So yeah. um, for anything. Yeah. And, um, 
So these were New York auditions for the upcoming San Diego production after the workshop they had already done. They'd done, yes, it was a real, basically a reading. Mm-hmm. And um, because I've heard sort of, um, I, it's a little muddled what I've gotten. Like, I think I told you I already spoke with James Lapine and it wasn't exactly clear to me. I, I had heard that there was a reading, an initial reading at Playwrights Horizons and that there was some kind of a workshop prior to San Diego. But James Lapine couldn't even really tell me if those were one and the same or not. I think they were one and the same. Gotcha. I do not remember going into a room with a bunch of actors and sitting down and reading the show. Mm-hmm. It might, but there was a, a dim memory of Sondheim actually hearing him do Hello, Little Girl. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when that happened. And, and so this was, you were casting all the roles for San Diego at this point? Oh, I think a lot of it was cast. Um, I played some auditions for The Witch, for some witches. Um, Joanna Merlin was the casting director, and she may not have used me mm. for any of these auditions. Uh, uh-huh. They may have been auditioning a lot, and I just wasn't involved. So, Gotcha. Okay, so just going back to your what, what of the score you received, you mentioned the opening number, Hello, yeah. Little Girl was a big number, and you said that you saw Sondheim perform Hello, Little Girl? Yes. And was that just like at his house in a work session or something, or? I... I it must have been, and he uh, played it and sang it. And, you know, of course, he was a raunchy, dirty old man. Yes. And, and everybody just thought, you know, that's him. Yeah. And nobody will ever sing it like him. Yeah. And uh, so. Uh, it reminds me of when they talk about Fred Ebb singing Liza with a Z, that it's uh, the, 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 you know, the, the author uh, has the final word on it. But I, you know, the, all I've, unfortunately for me, never heard Sondheim sing Hello, Little Girl. But I did hear him in several interviews and he would even just describe the title lyric as like, Hello, Little Girl, which fits with the sort of dirty old man. Right. And is, of course, very different than the almost like Shakespearean uh, version that Robert Westenberg delivered. Yes. And I know, and now we can talk about this. Now, did you see, when you saw the new production, did you see Gavin Creel or one of the temporary ones? I saw Mr. Creel yesterday. Because that's certainly a, a very different take than, than I've ever seen on The Wolf before. Well, we particularly liked um, when he takes Little Red's arm and puts salt and pepper on it. It was like, <laughs> yeah, that was like hilarious. a Warner Brothers cartoon, you know, and then she yanks it away. It was, it was very good. Yeah. And, uh, because she was fantastic. Yes, yes. Um, and so, uh, but would would you describe what, because, you know, I was thinking, is Gavin doing this sort of dirty old man, as you put it, that Sondheim had sort of described? Or is Gavin doing more of like a Disney musical comedy, sort of like he's seducing her with, rather than you know, almost uh, a sensual seduction, like in the original production, is Gavin doing more of a, like, appealing to Little Red the way, in what a child would find appealing, like a Disney kind of bouncy, like, sing-songy? Was that, that's maybe what I took from it. Does that jibe with what you thought? Well, I was warned that he camps it up a lot. Yes, yes. And I actually thought all of it was fine. Yeah. And, And, you know, it was you know, a feat, but as far as that number is concerned, 
it, it was just funny. It wasn't threatening. No, it wasn't. no. And when you when Sondheim would do it in the sort of dirty old man style, I assume it was not campy and not funny the way Gavin's was. The way Gavin was, but it was campy. And it was campy, and was and was was it uh, funny the way Sondheim did it? It was Sondheim funny doing it. Yeah, I remember enjoying it a lot. And just yeah. well, this is this is like, you know the shows that I did, there were two or three numbers right at the beginning. So this one was a very complicated song and it was just like, oh my God, how does any singer keep up with the music? And the yeah. Song? Where is the tune? Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's wormy, it's weird. And so listening to him do it or anybody do it, it's like, you know, are you on the right note? And uh, so I, I focus on that more than anything, but of course, but you know, he, he just basically threw up lines like, yeah. oh, it'll go. Yeah. <laughs> threw them up. And when you're talking to your meal, just kind of like barfed it out. And yeah. I do remember Gavin, Gavin was a little, you know, precise. On yes. It. Yes. Well, listen, University of Michigan, they, 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 they honor the Sondheimian uh, musical changes. I do remember Robert Westenberg on the line when you're talking to your meal having more of that uh tone that you just did um okay so uh thank you for giving me the deep dive into hello little girl um this this is exactly what i was hoping for from you paul this is great okay um okay so then uh what and you said uh also in the score was that there was a tiny version oh you said there was a long version you talk about this in your book of maybe their magic oh pages and pages and pages going into other they're trying to reason things out you know like, do we sell this, you know, do we, you know, cheat this kid, you know? Did, so did the baker have more to do in that version? Was it more of a duet? I think it was just inserts. Inserts. Because, you know, now, if there's, in my uh, limited, certainly compared to the Paul Ford, Stephen Sondheim oeuvre, um, in my limited experience working on new musicals, I know that, you know, Kill Your Darlings and all that. And, you know, but as as a fan of Into the Woods, I certainly, and always leave them wanting more, but certainly maybe their magic always leaves me wanting more. I mean, it comes out of this, this beautiful moment, one of the most simple melodic, uh, you know, of goodbye old friend, goodbye old pal. And, um, you know, and it goes so gorgeously into this, this moment for the baker's wife, which is, I mean, I started crying when I saw Sarah Bareilles do it the first time at city center. Um, just because it's, um, I don't know. It's it's it, there's something so uh, earnest in her, um, I guess, moral compromise or whatever. And you know, I guess that's what bites them in the ass in the second act, in a sense, is all the moral compromises. But but it's so it's you, you're so on her side in that moment, and it's so well musicalized. So it's heartbreaking and tantalizing to hear that there was a much much longer version. I wonder why that doesn't appear in any of these endless Sondheim cabaret style, you know, whatevers. I don't have a copy of it. <laughs> you saw where I, I mean, I, it was so, it was so quick to go and mm. I worked on it like crazy because it was all over the place. And uh, I mean, were there more repeats of the tune we hear in, in the version that exists now? Yes. And there was other stuff too. I can't be specific. 
No, and um, I think if I'm remembering your book correctly, that you described that uh, some pieces of that that had been removed were then used in a different version of one of the Midnights or something, is that right? No, no, what I said was the second Midnight production number. Yeah. That they lifted stuff out, including children will listen. Right, excuse me. Okay, That's so we're gonna, we're gonna have to get to that. But okay. okay, so maybe they're magic. Today is unfortunately not the day, but you have lit a fire inside me where find. I find that 3,000 page tome of the original draft. I know. Is Steve Clark still around? You know what? I've got to find him. But you'll be hearing from me sometime in the next year or 20 years with an invitation to some show where someone is singing the full version of Maybe They're Magic. Maybe. Um, And uh, okay, so then you said a very short version of Giants in the Sky. Yes. And I had a recording of it. I don't have it anymore. Uh, That might have surfaced somewhere musically. No, because there were, maybe you know, on one of the versions of the CD of Into the Woods, of the original Into the Woods Broadway cast that was released at some point. Yes. 10, 15 years ago. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Um, That it was, um, there was, uh, there was little demos that were included. It was John Cameron Mitchell singing, maybe this is the Giants in the Sky you're talking about. Probably so, yeah. And it was Maureen Moore doing uh, Boom Crunch. And um, I think maybe one or two other tracks. Unfortunately, I don't have that CD anymore and it's not available streaming, but um, I got to find those tracks. Do you, rem- yeah. do you remember those? I do remember. I don't think I had them or listened to them, but I was aware of them. So. And do you remember John Cameron Mitchell or Maureen Moore having any involvement in any of this sort of developmental phase? Just, just before I came on. And do do you know whether they had done an actual reading or just been sort of friends coming over somewhere to record something? They might have been in that initial reading that I only heard the audio of. Gotcha. Um, And you said that the Giants in the Sky was shorter and was very different from the version that came to be, or? It, It was like a patter song, a very fast, excited patter song. Without the da 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 da, mm-hmm. it may have been one phrase of that, mm-hmm. but it just was. It was just a lot of fast pattern. Yeah, yeah. And was there any? Was there anything else you remember in that initial batch of score you were given? Oh well, the initial. Yes. Um, oh, here it is. Back to the Palace was the original Cinderella song. Mm-hmm. And I had to work on that here in my apartment with several people who auditioned with it. Most notably, Patty. Yeah. Yes. Who, um, you know, learned it thoroughly. And she came in, she said, she loved the song. She cried, of course. And then we uh, went in to do it. And James said, great, we want you for the witch. <laughs> and she said, I'm not doing the witch. I'm doing Cinderella the end but that song lasted well into yes it it was out by the time we went to san diego but i know kim crosby had to probably learn it so now now the way that patty has told the story over the years was that basically the version that you just said although that then she was in negotiations to be the witch and that that they that it broke down over 
I don't know, contract points or, or I don't even know what, you know, but that she wound up doing anything goes instead. But uh, when I did talk to James Lapine, um, much to my delight, he brought that up and also, you know, described the audition that way. Um, he didn't remember what happened with her and the witch or negotiations or anything like that, but that he said that they had imagined Cinderella basically as a beauty queen and, you know, she wasn't who they saw and that um, they imagined Cinderella singing in a soprano voice, although he said that he felt Patty could have done that. Yeah. It, do, I mean, is, I guess, is, is the dude, could Patty have, aside from acting or being right for the part, could Patty Lapone in 1987 have sung that role? Not the way it ended up. Yeah. And because there was a lot of other material, the yeah. bird stuff. And the right. So happy and just. Yeah. No. But what, but the, what, the big solo only went up to like a D or an E flat or something. So it was something like that. I mean, did she belt it at the audition? Do you remember that? No, she kind of mixed it. Yeah. She sang it very well. Back to the palace. I think in your book, you describe it being a a great performance of the number. It was, she was right on the money. And um, is that when Kim Crosby came in? She must've come in right around that time and uh, got it, but I was not there for her auditions. Um, Okay, I want to say something terrible about my feelings about Cinderella, and feel free to hang up on me, judge me, whatever, you know, no no offense taken. But I feel a little bit like it's a role like um, Louise and Gypsy, that people have extremely strong feelings about all the various who they hate, who they love in the role, and to me, they kind of all feel about the same. Wait a minute. Who they love and who they hate in the role? Who, who did you hate in the role? Well, like, they talk about, like, oh, Laura Benanti was a revelation as Cinderella. Oh, I don't like, okay, I'm going to say something that you're going to hang up on. <laughs> I haven't liked her in anything. Yeah. And uh, not Gypsy, not Nine, not anything. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't want to see her play Cinderella. So. Right. Well, but so, okay, so she was Cinderella in the um, Vanessa Williams. Did you see that one? In two, the two I played all the auditions for that. Did did she audition? No, not no, when I was playing. Not her only. Um, uh, she might she might have auditioned with somebody else playing because it was a long time ago. She wasn't, uh, you know, the she star. She might have just been handed the role. I mean, like she had done a few things, right? So, but uh, well, there are people that said, and I liked her in it full disclosure but I but I didn't think she was a revelation I didn't think she was anything that that Kim Crosby hadn't already done beautifully and that I've seen uh many people do beautifully um so did you feel at the time what do you think Kim Crosby had that do you remember anybody else that auditioned for that besides Patti LuPone not right off hand yeah and do you remember what it was about Kim Crosby that you felt sort of earned it for her? Well, I think, wasn't she a beauty queen? Yes, she... I think, I, maybe you said that in your book, actually. I have heard that. Mm, yeah, she, I would think that uh, a clear, unoperatic voice, but mm. a clear, clear soprano. This is, I want to really highlight this for everybody listening, because this is such a great, important statement about musical theater, especially the more old school kind of musical theater. You know, a clear, this was, I believe your words, a clear, unoperatic voice, 
but a clear soprano. I mean, that is a rare thing. And I think that's a really great description of what's so appealing about Kim Crosby at the, certainly, you know. You can understand all of her lyrics. Yeah. Like, like young Barbara Cook. Like young Barbara Kim Crosby, we old gotta, Barbara Cook. We got we got to give Kim Crosby the the this great compliment she just got from you, Paul. Um, like a young Barbara Cook. I mean, that you can't do better than that as a Broadway soprano, right? Right. I mean, it would do. Do you who would you say uh, with Barbara Cook are the greatest Broadway sopranos with unoperatic clear sopranos? Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I I loved um. Rebecca Luger. Yes, yes. And uh, that's good. Oh. Yeah. So ask me another question. Yes, you got it. Okay, so um, another thing I liked about Kim Crosby, and now I'm violating my own principle of how every Cinderella is the same, but I do appreciate that she could really, and maybe it's because being a beauty queen without any effort at all, she was, of course, a beautiful Disney-style princess just from the way she looked. So she was able to play kind of the quirky nerd personality that um, made Cinderella more interesting. And, you know, it gave the second act when she makes the choice not to go back to the prince. You believe she's this smart person who has had a different take on the choice that she thought she wanted and all that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, Kim Crosby. do you remember casting any of the other parts prior to San Diego? Um, I just remember people who came in. Mm, yeah. S. Apatha Merkerson. For the witch? For something. She came in and sang something. And she was very nice. Alice Platon came in. Wow. For Little Red, most likely. Was, wasn't she had to be in her like late forties at that point, right? Yeah, but she could do it. Wow! And I think she sang "I Happen to Like New York." <laughs> Fabulous! And of course, she went slightly sharp on it, the way she <laughs> But um, also um, one one quick interruption on Alice Platon because I now that I'm talking to an actual like musical prodigy on the subject, I've always been obsessed with Alice Platon from the um. Sondheim uh, Scrabble Letters concert, yes. singing, uh, you know, Dainty June's part in the If Mama Was Married. Don't tell me there's a Santa Claus and that she's not sharp on that recording. Well, I don't know if you've heard the uncut yes. full thing where she does There Won't Be Trumpets. And she yeah. ends up in a completely different key. <laughs> oh, God. From okay. the pianist, so... All right, we are we are going to have to ex- excerpt some of that on this podcast. Um, okay, fabulous. But but she's not. But she's musically on in uh, uh, if Mama was married. Yes, it's fine. It's it's uh, it's exciting. Yes, that kind I mean, of little. Always lived for that. Yeah, I rem- I, I had an, I, you know I didn't know much about her. I didn't know uh, what is it Henry Sweet Henry. You know, at the time right. when I was discovering. Sondheim and everything um and the Scrabble Letters concert but then I remember seeing Susicle on Broadway and just uh-huh. like you know overly excited about Alice Clayton being there and of course she was wonderful um and 
Okay, I'm sorry. So Essa Patham Merkerson, who of course is a great actor on Broadway and on television, I don't think I've ever heard her sing. She might have been in for Jack's mother. I don't know. And am I correct? My understanding is that Jack's mother is deceptively difficult vocal part. Oh, yes. Ask Charlotte Ray, <laughs> who did the national tour. Yes. Now, did you did you work on that tour? I think I may have played some auditions and I went to see a run through. Yeah. Now, because Jack's mother, doesn't she have to hit a G in that... Um, in jack 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 head in a sack uh it's high it's up there yeah i mean i, I was seeing ann harada do it did you see Anne her oh no she's not back in it yet huh no the woman that did it yesterday she didn't make that note oh but wow. that's okay it, it you know not- it's understandable yeah so. it's unnecessarily high frankly but um couldn't i mean couldn't she have sung lower but uh i guess what's her name um um oh god help me out the great original jack's mother oh. Barbara Brand. Barbara Brand. Uh, she she was one of those great, you know, singing actresses who could have a wide range. Um, and uh, but I did really get, love seeing Anne Harada do that in her. Uh, I bet she was great. Her freak belt voice. Um, yes. And so, okay, uh, I'm fascinated by Essa Patha Merkerson. Could could she sing? If not that role, something easier. She wasn't Essa Patha Merkerson. A path of Merkerson. Yeah. Yet. So yeah. I didn't know who she was and I didn't really pay attention because I had to play whatever song she brought in. Yeah. Um, For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic. And as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from breakfast to dessert stay fueled with easy nutritious options treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp and blackened salmon and kitchen time is kept to a minimum they are ready in two minutes no shopping no prepping no cooking no cleanup enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well-balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 and use code giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code giantsinthesky50 at factormeals.com slash giantsinthesky50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well, there's the big Susan Anton is the big one of the big stories for the witch. Yes. Now, just know. for some of my younger listeners who don't know, uh, can you uh, tell them who Susan Anton is? Well, if you know who Suzanne Summers is, yes. she's a taller version. Okay. Suzanne Summers. And She's also, a Hollywood blonde. Yeah. She was in a huge affair with Dudley Moore, who mm. was about four feet tall. Right. Uh, she was about six foot seven. So she came in and auditioned. And uh, it's it, you have to read my book to get it. Everyone needs to read your book because, you know, I don't want to act it out here. I didn't know that you'd even written a book. And I was talking to my friend, Adam Feldman, who's the Time Out New York theater critic and president of the Drama Critics Circle, about how much, uh, how I was doing this podcast. Uh, He said, well, you have to talk to Paul Ford. Have you read his book? And I I said, I love Paul Ford. I didn't know he'd written a book. And before I could even buy the book, I mean, he was texting me just a photo of one page of your vivid, I mean, giddy descriptions of sometimes not so giddy of the uh, auditions for The Witch. And um, you mentioned Suzanne Summers, who's a hilarious and hideous uh, story of her audition and uh, not a hideous woman, but, uh, but also a hilarious woman, but a hilarious story. Really, people have to read it. And the um, really uh, sort of heartbreaking tease of the Eartha Kid audition that you describe. Oh. And, um, and, and you're also a big fan, I believe, of Petula Clark's audition. Oh. I know that she's had a lot of success in musical theater. I think she's done more performances as Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard than many of the women that we would discuss, you know, with that role. But, um, but you were a big fan of her audition for Into the Woods. I was. I mean, I can't believe she was standing right over here. And she, we did the witch's rap. Yes, your we did legendary boom. apartment in Hell's Kitchen. We did with the witch's rap and boom crunch. And uh, she came in and read them down or had looked at them. It was like, read them down. So it was like, well, sit down for a minute and tell me about Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Quinian's <laughs> Rainbow. Yeah. And she was really, really nice. And Wonderful. then she came in the next day and nailed it. And yeah. I think she was doing her own composing and work and writing for a show in London that prevented her from. Mm. And so all these great witch audition stories that people must read your book available in bookstores on Amazon. They can get it on Kindle. Did you do an audio book? I didn't look, by the way. Yes. You they can, can hear my voice for 15 hours. Fabulous. Now, doing my Elaine Stritch. <laughs> and I assume your uh, Eartha Kit as well. I think I probably did. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's in there. Um, so all these auditions for The Witch, this was all in the same moment in preparation for the San Diego production. No, some of these were to replace Bernadette. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Petula, Eartha, 
Suzanne, but for, for the initial, it was Susan Anton. Oh, oh, well, first of all, um, this was, I believe after the, I think it was after the San Diego, because it was strange, you know, um, Ellen Foley was hired for San Diego. This is after Patti Lapone didn't work out? I think maybe after the San Diego. Hard for me to remember. Some was before San Diego. Some was after San Diego leading into the Broadway. Now, because I know that Betty Buckley had done the first workshop. She did. Okay. And um, I, you know, there's all this sort of, I'm going to try to get more information from somebody, maybe from Betty Buckley about exactly why it eventually didn't work out. There's various rumors and, and things have been said, but, but just in terms of the timing, I believe that whatever went wrong that prevented Betty from moving to Broadway with the show that the reason she didn't go to San Diego is because I think that's the timing when she replaced Bernadette in Song and Dance. Probably. Unavailable. And I wonder, in were you a party to, or was there truly just never any consideration of Bernadette Peters, who had just triumphed in Sunday in the Park with George, to be involved in Into the Woods? As far as I know, no. I mean, everyone tells the story of Sondheim and Lapine and Bernadette and, you know, that it's been, that it was like, just, it had never occurred to anybody until the day that it magically happened, like at the sort of last minute or whatever. Well, there was one thing, um, it may, you know what, I think it was before San Diego. We had a, there's a woman named Zora Rasmussen. Yes, a wonderful downtown cabaret yes. artist and yeah. She came in and sang a song called Nowhere to Hide and Mark Shaman played for her. Mm. And I got to sit out and watch and she came in a few times. And, but that was who Paul Gimignani was suggesting. Some, you know, rocker type. Yeah. You know, and, and so that was not Bernadette. Right. And uh, also uh, Donna Murphy came in either before or after San Diego and did some really hardcore and, you know, number that she brought her own pianist with. Yeah. And um, then Would finally, you stay in the room when somebody brought their own pianist? Oh, of course. I would turn pages if they wanted me to. But God bless Generally, you. I would sit out and watch. Yeah, know? yeah. Leave the room? Why and, would I ever want to leave the room? Of course. And did you know who Donna Murphy was when she came in at that point? Yes, she had... Um, been hired to understudy i'd seen her in that uh, song of singapore yeah. oh and you mentioned in the book that she had been for a short period Teresa stratus's understudy on rags yes right and that she had left that to be betty buckley's replacement and yes and she had been the understudy in that edwin drood yes yeah, mr edwin drood um okay so yeah. where i believe she also covered cleo lane another witch probably uh, so, okay, so Donna comes in and, uh, but didn't get the job for another no. years. And then a, the classic one that Paul said, we need somebody like Debbie Harry. Yeah. Like the witch. And so <laughs> Debbie came over and stood right here and I taught her boom crunch and the, the, um, um, rap. And she came in the next day and, uh, 
did not impress James Lapine. Paul wasn't even there. Yeah. And uh, she, you know, she just didn't. And where did this idea that it had to be a rock and roll singer come from? I mean, it doesn't, the material that, that I've heard doesn't sound very rock and roll. I think, I think Paul was suggesting a different type from anybody else in the show, from the Baker's wife, Cinderella, all the other sopranos in the show to yeah. have a different kind of voice and to have somebody, you know, who could, you know, really go out of control and take it to another kind of harsh level. Yeah. And I mean, was Sondheim going, you know, to write toward that end? It's hard to imagine him in that, in that groove. Well, at the moment, there was only the rap yeah. and only Boom Crunch. And Boom Crunch was meant to be really guttural and mean yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, uh, so do you remember Ellen Foley auditioning? No, I don't, but I certainly did the show with her. So. Yeah. So, and, um, so then Ellen got the part for San Diego. Yes. And did you go to San Diego? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I know. That's oh, yeah. another great chapter in the book. Um, so t- tell me about that experience of San Diego. Um, it was thrilling. Yeah. It was also not very difficult because we kind of rehearsed it well in New York and got it on the stage and it was simple staging and simple set design and uh, it was really just a matter of doing it, you know. And um, the only thing was that toward the end of the run, a certain composer came in with a new song and gathered the whole cast on the stage and then played and sang it. And then everybody went off in their little, their little corners after, you know, and started going, who can make the sunshine yes. or whatever. And everybody was saying, it's the candy man. And it's no one is alone. Yes. And we got over it because we realized it wasn't really just that first phrase made you go there. No one here to guide you. Who can make the sun rise? Sprinkle I mean, it. I never noticed that until your book. No kidding. No. But I, I'm, I miss everything. I never noticed any of the, um, what's the Brigadoon song that's in Phantom of the Opera? Slowly come to me, bend to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. And how no. about anyone can whistle? Da 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 da. What's that song that Raoul sings? Oh, um. You're blowing my mind. Um, okay, so is it possible that uh, Lloyd Webber stole from Sondheim, who stole from Leslie Brickus? Is, is that the I doubt if anybody intentionally stole yes. from anybody. So. Yes, yes, except possibly Lloyd Webber with uh, Puccini, right? Um, Maybe, uh, who knows? Who knows? Okay, so uh, they write, so I, No One Is Alone is added. Were there a lot of changes made during the run in San Diego? Was it treated as sort of workshoppy kind of? No, it was a full production. We um, we were missing, there was a song, let's see. I think maybe their magic had already been cut down. Yeah. Um, I don't think On the Steps of the Palace showed up until the pre-Broadway. 
So it was still back to the palace. I think it was. And um, any moment had a big section of it cut out. Mm -hmm. And a very nice prince had a huge section cut out which are both on the original cast recordings. Yes, which, uh, and also the longer version of The Lament, right? From The the Witches Act 2. The Lament was, Stay With Me wasn't anywhere no, near this production. No, no, not at all. No, not so, Children yeah. Will Listen, not anything. Gotcha, okay. So, because I love that longer version, especially of um, uh, a very nice, it's a very nice prince. Is that what you just referenced? Yeah. yeah. I love that. Is he hands? Is he sensitive? Clever? Just, just like the um, agony melody. Yes. Well, that still remained, but there was a whole bunch of other stuff. It's on the recording. You can listen. Yeah. To yeah. Um, and do, like, for example, that cut to me always seemed like like a bad cut. Did you did you feel at the time like yeah yeah shorten it shorten it shorten it. I'm the kind of guy that thinks all cuts are bad. <laughs> right, yeah. That's, there's an all fabulous ongoing um, uh, uh, debate in your book between Paul Gemignani constantly cutting everything and you just shaking your head as you watch all these beautiful pieces of music just get thrown out. <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, and uh, was there a sense, you know, a lot of these shows now they really use these regional productions as, you know, out of town tryouts, even though they're at a nonprofit theater, they, right. they're very much a pre-Broadway uh, show the way that an out of town tryout would be. Was that the, the feeling around this production at the old globe? Oh, sure. And were there, I guess it was Rocco Landisman and, and yes. were, were they there a lot in San Diego? I don't remember them actually being there. I'm sure they came. Yeah. I'm sure everybody came. Streisand came. Right, yes, I love reading that. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, by the way, well, you said there was no children will listen at all yet, anyway. Yep. Um, I wonder what you think of the uh, longer uh, song version of children will listen that, that Barbara sings, and now other people. Oh, sing. I thought all of that was kind of silly. Right? Silly, yeah. But yeah. then those songs are just, you know, it doesn't have much of an ending. But no. I, well, first of all, we did not have that long second midnight number. We had not rehearsed that thing for San Diego. There was a longer version of No More, mm. which had this beautiful music for the mysterious man where he sang, The Garden, I Wandered in the Garden, da 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 da. da. So beautiful, sung by George Coe of Sorry Grateful, you know? Yeah. And then um, that Paul. Snip, snip, snip. Let's cut out that whole middle part. And uh, it was used as underscoring uh, in the finale of the second act. But that couldn't have been a Paul Gemignani choice, right? I mean, it's one thing when you're doing a concert version of something somewhere and nobody really knows which score to work from and which is the final version of the show and what are we doing here and it can't all be in there. And Paul Gemignani says, this is out and everybody says, okay. But well, You're telling me got, in the development of Into the Woods, Paul Gemignani said, cut this, and Sondheim and Lapine deferred? Well, Paul would call Steve and say, I want to cut this section out. And Steve would invariably say, fine. Mm. And he'll patch it up. Like yeah. That. Yeah. So that whole, I remember that going and thinking, oh, oh. So. 
Fascinating. Um, okay, and what about other cast members from San Diego? You mentioned George Coe very fondly singing this yes. version of No More. Uh, do you know what happened, why George Coe was not part of the uh, Broadway production? Um, no, I don't know. And uh, what, what about anybody else that you remember from the uh, Old Globe production who was, you know, I know Ellen Foley, that was the end of her time until she was a replacement at the very right. end of the Broadway run. Um, anybody like I guess I think the same thing happened with Luann Ponce was Little Red Danielle Riding Danielle couldn't do it I don't believe so ah, Luann gotcha okay so that was an accommodation um, and like you said uh, Ken Marshall had been the prince and the wolf still uh, he uh, so after San Diego he was gone yeah and and the next step was a, another workshop after San Diego but before we leave, there was one other person who was yes. thoroughly delightful. His name was John Cunningham. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. He's a member of the original cast of Company. Yes. And Zorba. And uh, so he he was the narrator. It was a narrator and a mysterious man. So George was the mysterious man. Yeah. John was the narrator that gets thrown to the... So when he was about to be thrown to the giant, we had a song called Interesting Questions. Yes. Where he sings, this an interesting question. And, you know, he keeps singing along and then they interrupt him and throw him to the giant. Hilarious. Song is cut. Yeah. Um, So, okay. uh, How do you feel, aside from the actual casting, how did it work in your mind, the separation of those characters played by two different actors? Oh, I thought eventually putting it together was terrific. Terrific. Just like I think in Assassins, having the balladeer become, um, you know, what's his name? Yeah, I thought that was good. Well, in both cases, it seems like your your take has been the winning one. If you, if you say so. Well, because yeah. that's that's how they're both done now, right? I mean, I I, yeah. I haven't. Well, I didn't see Assassins at um, Classic Stage last year, but certainly the Broadway production and the. Um, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, and the um, the revival and the um, uh, the uh, city center encores uh, production was like that. Um, so I could be wrong about that, and somebody will will email me that that was not what they did at encores, but that's how I remember it. Um, and uh, so okay, and then was I, there was so there was quite a bit of time then that passed from San Diego workshop till it finally got to Broadway. I mean, it was at least a year, was it not? It seemed long, but I wouldn't say it was that long. Not that Somewhere long. between rags and into the woods, we were on Broadway and that was like 86 to 87. So I don't think it was Yeah, right. Good point. Um, but uh, so you didn't have to go home and look for a job. You were, you were, you knew this was coming. Actually, I did. I got a job at the York Theater doing the apple tree. Oh, wonderful. So that was the in-between job. And who was the cast in this 1987 Apple Tree York production? John Sloman was Alan Alda. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kate. Kate. Kathy McGrath. She okay. changed her name so many times, I couldn't remember. <laughs> Kathy McGrath. She's still around. Yeah. And uh, Rufus Bonds Jr. played the Larry Blackguard. And he was in Parade. Yeah, right. Um, okay, so uh, then this workshop happens. Yes. And the workshop was that, I know it was with Betty. Did you work on that workshop? 
I did. And that's with Betty Buckley as the witch, right? It was. And what was the rest of the cast more of the people from San Diego or were they already on the way out? The I think Bob Westenberg may have been there. Yeah. And uh, I think John Cunningham, uh, maybe Tom Aldrich was brought in. Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure. Sure. But it was back with Danielle Furland. Yes. Chip and Joanna. Yes. And uh, Kim Crosby, of course, having yes. done it. But, uh, okay, so when you say that was a workshop, I mean, was that several weeks long with, like, staging and, and people costumed no. and stuff? No, 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 no. It was a little literal reading at 890 Broadway with chairs. And it was only a couple of weeks. And so it was just about kind of catching a few people up. But the main thing about it was James wrote three different versions mm. of the end of the show. Mm. One version was basically what it is now and what it was in San Diego. And then there was a version where everybody comes magically to life at the end and all is resolved and happy. And then the third version was everybody died. Ah. Like in Lame is everybody gets killed. So we did three run throughs with a different ending, you know. And this is fascinating. And so, and you said the version that stuck is not only the one that we have now, but it's the version that had already been done in San Diego. Yes, yes. And so you're talking about, I think, story-wise, but did you at this point yet have Children Will Listen? And No, we didn't, no, we didn't have any of that yet. No. Um, and so was there any significant new material in this workshop that had not been in San Diego? Nope. No. And so... Uh, Betty Buckley as the witch, tell me your memories. So many of us for so many years, hunger, hunger to know what that was like. And the only tapes that I've ever heard are such poor quality that even among bootleg tapes of workshops, they are unlistenable. Well, all I really remember is that I, if you say she was maybe the singer on that initial demo recording or that initial No, no, that was meeting. Mar- Oh, that's right. No, but I think she might. Okay, so we t- Paul and I went into a rehearsal room with her, and I think the rap number was pretty easy. She may yeah. have already learned it. For yeah, some from the other reading, yeah. Then we started on Boom Crunch, and we got through it somehow, but all I remember her saying is after I kind of played it through and we kind of went through, she said, I don't feel it that way. And And we just thought, oh, she doesn't see it as a jazz waltz she uh-huh. feels it some other way now what other way that would be we never found out but it's like should it have been a different time signature should it have been faster slower with more space should it be rewritten totally we didn't know what she meant yeah but she said i don't feel it that way mm-hmm. i was like okay <laughs> I mean, she talks, there's a book, maybe you've read it, called Nothing Like a Dame by Eddie Shapiro. No, not yet. It's got these great, very um, candid conversations with these great Broadway leading ladies, and including Betty and Patty and Cheetah Rivera and a million people. But in the Betty one, she talks about this, and she says that um, James Lapine saw the relationship between Rapunzel and the witch as a lesbian relationship. If she says that, it certainly has a 
appeared to be that way. Maybe not with Bernadette so much, but yeah. Um, so, uh, but that I guess that wouldn't have been an issue in Boom Crunch. Um, it was just no. a musical issue, and there was still no Stay with Me. There was no Stay with Me, and there was no what was Our Little World, which was a very funny song. Yes, I love that number. <laughs> Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, of course, we got to have Bernadette and all the wonderful people that have played the witch, but I do think Betty Buckley would have been so incredible. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know if you read James Lapine's wonderful book, Putting It Together, about Sunday in the Park with George development. Only my parts. <laughs> um, because, I knew all those other stories. Yeah, I bet you did. But, you know, anyone reading that book, and you could tell us yourself, would be like stay in there Betty they're gonna figure it out you're gonna get more material it'll happen you know Mandy got lesson number eight like the week before they open you know like and Bernadette got children in art and Bernadette got children in art and it's like how how could and, and isn't the history of Broadway musicals sending the clowns in a hotel room in Boston I mean like it, how, it, it's so heartbreaking to think that Betty didn't have that faith. Well, I don't know what she had or hadn't because you, you, she might have said something in this other book, but uh, she, she was there and then I got a phone call from Sondheim after that reading was over. Don't tell anybody. And it's like, Steve, first of all, there was no internet. There was yeah. nothing back then. Yeah, yeah. And I just said, who am I going to tell? Yeah. My mother? You know, yeah. don't tell anybody, but bring your music up to Bernadette's apartment. Yeah. And I said, oh, okay. So grab you my immediately music. realized that was for the witch, right? Oh, yeah. And we played, well, we played through the two songs. Yeah. And then he said, I'm going to write you another song. And she was like, okay. So the next thing we did was another staged in a circle reading in some fabulous townhouse on the east side yeah in the stair hall with a little piano rolled in uh-huh and, and the cast showed up and this new person came walking in it's like honestly chip and joanna were going oh no there go our tony awards They're, you know it's like they they were like oh what does this mean and so bernadette nailed those two songs and everybody clapped and then all of a sudden we felt like, okay, now we're, now we're, now we're on. Yeah. So. I mean, it is just so, it's like the eye doctor when they go, what's better, one or two? And then yes, all of a sudden you have clear. Bernadette Peters. Um, fascinating. Um, and then, okay, tell me about them. I guess soon after that, you began rehearsals. We did. And was that with more of the material? I assume now you have the new song for Bernadette. Yes, we got a new song, which was so hard. Stay with me. That opening is so hard. And I had to play it in five different keys or try to... Sondheim always said he doesn't exactly hit every right note, but he gives the singer the bed in which to work on. So, and I'll go back. He, he was talking about, you don't have to transpose every note. Just, you know, give, you know, find it and then you can work on it later. So I always felt very relieved at that, that he, you know, gave, gave all of us piano players a, a break. But yeah. so stay with me. But the big number was Second Midnight. Mm. Oh, my God. I loved it. I loved rehearsing it. It was so much fun. 
involved everybody in the show. And it was toward the end of act one. And it had children will listen. It had da 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 all that stuff that is not in the show yeah but it's on that streisand recording and it's yeah and mandy patinkin sings it too and really Henschel. yeah so it's like so there was all this stuff it was such a great number we rehearsed it for an hour every day all right this that's going in my uh the into the woods cut songs cabaret uh it's going to be uh, maybe their magic and second midnight are the big the big gets well it's been recorded right second midnight wasn't it part of the uh, video version of the didn't they include it in an extras thing and they recorded some numbers i i know the uh the audio stuff that i've heard on that um that into the woods album there's no video uh is like one of the video releases had all this other stuff on I better hunt that down. I mean, maybe I just ignored it because I thought Second Midnight, I don't care about that song, thinking it was just going to be like, Two Midnight's Gone. (laughs) Well, this number, I've got it. I've got a piano recording of it for the press, which you're welcome to. I want that, please. I should be able to just email it to you. Yeah, fabulous. And we also did Hello Little Girl, and I think, think that was it. For that really? press. So you started rehearsals with the full long second midnight. Yes. So that's at the press little preview you did for, you know, whatever TV channel it was at the time. And then um and then during rehearsals, these changes started happening. Yes. Uh yes. <laughs> they did. Would you say most of the changes were in place by the time uh previews started? Absolutely not. <laughs> not by a long shot. No. And what 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 are things that you remember being particularly eleventh hour changes? Okay. Um, second midnight lasted a dress rehearsal, and it was out. So wow. we had a full orchestration. Mm. We did it on the set with an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to get. Let's see, Stay With Me was there, maybe even the reprise, but I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. But Children Will Listen was inserted late in the process. I'm So Happy was cut as the, in the first act, mm. at the end of the first act. And it was out for a while. So then we all were gathered at the Martin Beck Theater Lounge upstairs, and they said, we're going to reinstate I'm So Happy, but we're going to do it as the opening of Act Two. Mm. And I went up to Steve and said, I thought about that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> said, well, why didn't you say something? <laughs> well, I will next time. <laughs> so so that was just, oh, thank God we got that beautiful song back in. Mm. And it was just perfect because in the giant, you know, crushes them halfway through. Yeah. Uh, what else? Um Uh, well, I think, you know, all the little bits with children will listen, you know, all of that was inserted, the no one is alone that the baker's wife sings. Yeah, Maybe that was somewhere in there, mm. you know, at this point, and then it went into, um, you know, children will listen for Bernadette, and then the company had to sing it. I remember us figuring out little harmonies here and there. Yeah. 
and all of that seemed to be during the previews. Yeah. And, um, but the big thing was Last Midnight mm. and Boom Crunch. We were doing Boom Crunch, I believe, all the way into the previews. Mm-hmm. And then he, Sondheim brought in a tag for it so that it would sweep a little more so that she could disappear at the end of the number. Mm-hmm. So it was this Last Midnight thing. So we did three quarters Boom Crunch and one quarter Last Midnight. Then he came in a few days later with more Last Midnight, and we cut out more of Boom Crunch and went into Last Midnight. Finally, he brought in all of Last Midnight, and there was a number to transpose and to teach Bernadette, and that was in the middle of the previews. Yeah, and I imagine Bernadette, maybe even more than other people, would have been... Um game for that having gone through a rigorous process like that and come out you know successfully with Sunday in the Park with George and a dozen musicals and a, yeah and that too just having been doing this for decades I mean yeah. no I think she was ready probably for something that would really you know show her off which it did which it did I mean it's interesting to me that he continued to fuss with that song because well, I of course, love the original, you know, Last Midnight so much. And yet there was a different version in the revival with Vanessa Williams and that Donna really? Murphy did in the park. It's really? a ending um, that I, I don't, I can't tell. I'd love to know your thoughts if you listen to it. There, that's recorded and the Donna one is on YouTube. But there, I don't know if it is better and I'm just too used to the original to accept it or if it actually is as unnecessary as I feel. I'd have to listen to it. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, But I do love that original Last Midnight. Did you know when you heard that Last Midnight, oh, this is a much better song. This is great. Yes. Yeah. I thought Boom Crunch was funny. Yeah. The first part of it was was initially but then it just kept in that da 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 da. It kept that that kind of singing a song, a song, da da, that kind of thing, for four minutes, and yeah. uh, and it didn't build. Yeah, and um, I've never quite understood, and I wonder about the audiences. Could they understand her singing, "Mother, come get me"? Yeah, you know, take me, you know, curse me, put me yeah. back the way, and she disappears out of the show, and it's like. What what just happened? Yeah. So that was never clear to me. Yeah. Like, I think that's why the rewrite, that version that Vanessa and Donna did, yes. I think it's about Claire, it's longer about the mother. And oh, good. And, and, but it, so maybe it is better. And it's just that I know the verse, first one too well to, to, to be able to accept it. Right. Um, but uh, well, I will be curious when, when you get a chance to know your thoughts on that. Um, and uh, and what else, anything else you want to tell me about the, the run or the opening? The, well, I think once we got Last Midnight in, put So Happy at the beginning of Act One, got children will listen in there. Um, I think the dress rehearsal, the second one, maybe there was a second one. It went so long that the orchestra was dismissed 
and I and I had to finish from yeah. no one is alone to the end. But I don't remember there being children who listen. Mm-hmm. I just remember it just being uh, no one is alone, and then yay, 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 and one midnight gone, or the, the slotted spoon came, and then it went to dot 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 happy ending, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know it's funny to hear that because I I of course I love children will listen. Um, but I've always felt that there's a sense of maybe Into the Woods has too many finales or too many 11 o'clock numbers or too many inspirational ballads in a row. Well, that was that that was something we always kind of thought about as every evening went into its, you know, third hour. Yeah. It's like we got mo- so much more to go. I mean, and- no more Into No One Is Alone, Into Children Will Listen. That's a lot of of you know um, inspirational ballads and there's a lot of dry scenes in there good scenes but dry cinderella and the prince and then how do we kill the giant yeah you know and then after they killed the giant there's another you know wrap-up scene and then she comes on sings no one is alone which leads into children will listen yeah which goes on. Yeah. And and then we go into the final thing. So yes, it was a lot. Yeah. It's funny because Into the Woods is the show that is so, um, I mean, I think to anybody, certainly under 50, that's a musical theater fan, we grew up with that video of that original production, with that original yes. cast. And and a video directed by James Lapine. It's not, you know, it's it, it's not like the Sunny in the Park video that was, you know, presented, you know, to a TV director. And right. it's, so it's such an excellent capture of the show in its purest original form. And it, you know, it, it's a not only a gateway drug to Sondheim for so many people, but it was really a gateway to musical theater for many people. Um, yep. Um, you know, other than sort of the hit at the time of Les Mis and Phantom and everything, I mean, really Into the Woods was it. And I think that it's, you know, for, there's really so many people that consider it their favorite Sondheim show. And it's, it's funny going back to it and thinking about the ways that it is, um, you know, I don't want to say flawed, but you know, that it, it, it's not tight like Gypsy, you know, I mean, it's not, you know, yes. or, Sweeney, or even Sweeney Todd. I know you're not a huge Sweeney Todd fan, but um, but Sweeney Todd, you know, uh, is a very um, it, there's not three inspirational ballads in a row in Sweeney Todd, you know. Um, and although it's funny, I think part of what worked for me so much about the revival of Into the Woods, the current one, is mm-hmm. maybe because of the bare stage approach from encores. It seems like those final scenes. You know, there's there's no set move that has to happen. With no, the, there's the tree branches. It all just goes. Yeah. Um, Here's another thing. Yeah. Somewhere in the previews of the Broadway, I think James Lapine actually said to me, "I'm, I think we should cut all the pass around numbers." Wow. Giants. I know things now. Yeah. Giants in the sky. And on the steps of the palace. And so just for the kids, uh, Pastor Ral, I know they talk about that's the thing in Hello, Dolly, that the waiters come. Yes, the runway. 
So you're talking about the sort of the little character solos that happen in front of the curtain, so to speak. Is that what that means, Passarelli? After their adventures, yes. After they're, their adventures. They're in one moments. Yes. Uh, so, okay, you know, three of the, you know, most popular songs in the show now, funny enough. Um, you didn't do it, thank no. God. Okay. Yeah. So you were horrified at the time when you said that? <laughs> no more cuts. <laughs> no more cuts. Yeah. Um, great. And then, okay, anything else uh, you want to say about any of the things during the run? Or did you did you stay? I know you I, you talk about when you made the decision to uh, leave the Into the Woods pit as the... Um, it was only for the last few weeks because I had to do Mandy at the Helen Hayes. Yeah, so you were there for essentially the whole run. Yes, and I was there for the filming too. So. Yeah, yes. And uh, so I went back and sat in the pit on the last day and went to the party. Um, oh, there was so much that happened in that year and a half. Yeah. I mean, that's that's when Eartha Kid and Suzanne Summers and all those people, Petula, they all came in. Yeah. And um, it just, you know, there was a lot of cast changes. We had a lot of princes. Uh, Luann came for a little, came back for a, Hans, yeah. a little bit. And uh, and Ellen Foley, did she, when she came on Broadway and was the witch, were you gone already at that point? I think I might have been. So you don't remember if you went to see her? I heard her from from the pit, the last show. Um, And so was that, did was she still doing more of a rock and roll take as she had done before or had she conformed she had new material, had new material. so yeah. i think she did it her own way yeah whatever whatever was we had we had a tough time with uh the banker's wife yeah, yeah. really had a hard time it was cynthia sykes was- i had a hard time yeah i didn't think i thought Kay mcclellan all along should have taken over and but we had several people before her, and well, Kay McClellan got her due with the City of Angels getting to create. Yes, she did. Um, yeah. and and Crazy for You, um, or no, was she the replacement in Crazy for You of Michelle Pock? I forget who came. First. No, no, well, she might have been. I don't know. Maybe tour. Yeah, I guess Michelle Pock was first, of course. Um, and uh, do you remember any of the auditions for replacements besides the witch, the Baker's Wife auditions, or anything like that? Uh, they just didn't have. It just was the witch that they. And then I think they went off and probably Joanna auditioned and auditioned and screened people. And uh, Joanna, and then I, I would show up with somebody. Okay, I have to teach you the Baker's Wife. You've never been on stage before. You've never sung live in front of an audience before. Okay, let's get busy. We have not a minute to waste. And uh, Dick Cavett. And yeah. I left it out of my book somehow, or else it's earlier in the book, and I'd forgotten. Dick Cavett was brought in for a few weeks as the narrator only. Yeah, and, and Ed Lindeck played the mysterious man. Who had been Cinderella's father and been covered yes. the, the part. Um, so, Dick Cavett. And he I couldn't remember one line. So, no. the stage manager was with him in the wings going, Okay, you have to say, then Cinderella did this. Just just read it off the book. And you yeah. get out there and you go, so Cinderella grabbed up her golden foot gear. And, <laughs> and, and then the Rapunzel Tower kept breaking down. So the curtain would have to be brought down to fix it. And mm-hmm. so that was his clue or cue to get out on stage in front of the curtain and entertain the audience. Ah. And I had Eric Stern on his last performance orchestrate a brief um 
version of uh, Glitter and Be Gay, his theme song from yes. his TV show. So when he came out, or we went da 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 and I think he heard it. Well, at least at least Bernstein is in the Sondheim uh, universe. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, hilarious about Dick Cavett. I'm glad I know that. Um, well, Paul, this has been so amazing. It's really a gift to, to get to talk to you and ask all these questions. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, I mean, thank you for being here. Everybody, sh- everybody should read your book. They will enjoy not just all the just dishy and, and brilliant takes on the Into the Woods process, but Sunday in the Park with George and so many other great shows you've worked on. And you're, it's wonderful to read such a, um, a moving tribute to Mandy Patinkin, who you have a very close working relationship with and a lot of esteem for. And, and it's just a great, a great and unique insider take on what it's like to be a musician, a piano player, a, you know, a musical director on, on Broadway. A fly on the wall. Well, not, but not just, you know, and through, through a really diverse and long, wide spanning uh, career. So it's a, it's a treat for anyone that enjoys this podcast. You'll certainly enjoy the book. And I've enjoyed talking to you, Paul. Well, thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 11 with Joanna Merlin and John Lyons, the original casting directors. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.